All right, we are here with Sonia Cameron for the CFK Nutrition Podcast. Uh, Sonia is actually a member at Steel Coast CrossFit, which is how I met you. And um, you're kind of a badass. <laughs> so it's super exciting. Um, Sonia is a midwife and actually came up to me at the gym and you looked really excited. You're like, Kate, 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 we've got to talk about birth. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And I was just explaining to you before, I've been reading a ton of books. I've read like, you know, there's the Australian Guide to Pregnancy and Birth. I've read um, a couple of other, you know, just kind of classic go-to books. And you get a lot of information and to the probably to the point that it's a bit of information overload. And of course, it's not just the birth that they talk about. They talk about everything. And so even though I've read a little bit about birthing centers and midwives and private versus public, you don't really know the process. Um, And in my brain, I'm like, I really want to do a home birth. But, you know, there is the possibility that there'd have to be a transfer to a hospital. And then maybe that means that you should just start with a birthing center. Maybe, right? Like, it just seems like there are many different paths to take and everybody will have an opinion on it. So you've got to figure out what what works for you. But um, you were actually saying that Newcastle has got a really great home birth community or birthing center community. Is that right? Yes. So um, you'll find it different for all different areas but um, Newcastle has a group practice that is actually based like it's this covering is at the John Hunter so it comes under the obstetric and gynae for from the John Hunter but it's a standalone unit so it actually operates independently out at Belmont so it's run by the midwives there is an obstetric um, oversight if they have questions or referrals they will refer to them. They have some guidelines on who can actually go through them. So they have to be Mm. um, at a level of normal and no complicated um, background in their own physical health or in the pregnancy that might come up uh, during the pregnancy. So you can like opt to go there and you can birth at the Belmont Centre, which is a really lovely, you know, space. Um, or you, those midwives are also home birth midwives. So they can come to your house and your birth is set up at home. And they have all the equipment and all the keys of like, this is where you can hire a birth pool. This is, these yeah, are the things that you can okay. have. They, they will already bring the emergency equipment to your place prior to your due date or around that time. So that's all there. And then when you call them for the support, they can talk to you over the phone or they can come and you know be there and assess and come and go or stay, whatever is needed. At the yeah, time. okay, interesting. What For you, is do you have a preference on how you like to work with people with their birth? Um, yeah, so I I love the natural birth and supporting in that, like the that group practice that I was talking about, it is a designated midwife that you work with and that's your midwife. You They see you through antenatal care they are mm. on call for your birth and they see you postnatally. The only time that wouldn't happen is if they've just done 12, 18 hours yeah. and then their colleague will step in because that's around safety. So, um, Or they might not see you every postnatal visit if they've done a lot of hours. So they kind of help each other out a bit, but most of the time it's your midwife you, you contact them. Is that um, called consistency of consistency of care? What's the continuity? Term? Continuity. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So you can get that through that Belmont practice. Um, I don't work out in that. It is on call for kids, mm. busy life. 
um, that is a bit too much of a load for me um, to be able to put that in there and just drop everything. Um, so, but I did birth through them. <laughs> oh, so, interesting. I was actually going to ask you. You've yes. got you've had four experiences yes. giving birth. What were your experiences like? What well, were the kind of what was the route that you took? I did two in Canberra and two here in Newcastle. And Canberra was similar. They had a uh, like this kind of concept of um, continuity group practice type model. They had a unit that was in at the hospital, but it was still standalone. It was underneath the centre, so you weren't interacting ah, with okay. the other parts. It really does help separate that so the midwives are there. If you don't have any need, you don't escalate, you don't see a doctor. Yeah. Um, so I had, yeah, four natural births through those kind of models. Mm. Um, and... We, I just found out about it through my own research when I, because I was a nurse at the time for my first two and then a midwife for my second two. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, no, I loved that, loved birthing through them. Mm. Um, it was an amazing experience. So I love to be able to work in that space, but not at the right timing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if there will be, but it's still like the kind of midwifery that drew me into changing from nursing to midwifery that's what I was going to ask you you obviously made a transition like what what made you want to do midwifery I think even when I was in high school I was like yeah, I really okay. like the idea of working in midwifery I like being around young babies like the newborn mm. babies was a real like I've always been drawn to that um, and then when I was doing my HSC, there is no midwifery direct entry then. So you had to be a nurse. Right. Okay. So, so that was like, fine. I cool. I'll go do that. Um, when I was studying nursing, I loved it. Mm. So I just was like, mm. this is fantastic. And I really put the whole midwifery didn't even come into my thinking when I was studying it. Everything I learned about it, all my practicals was like, no, this is awesome. I'm putting all this effort into it. I want to work in it. Yeah. So I went from there and, and kind of went through my nursing. So I ended up working in intensive care, doing um, university studies in critical care and, and really loving that. When I had my first baby... I went through the group practice and I was yeah, like, okay. this is amazing. I really love this because I loved the, that the dogs, The dogs are playing in the background. You can put them out. You them. Are you guys having fun? <laughs> yeah, they make a lot of noise. They're very friendly. <laughs> Do you want me to put them out? No, they're fine. Um, yeah, so I had that rapport with that midwife. I thought this is, it's not just a... Um, a profession it's like a support mm. it's a um, building of knowledge it's a it's like a coaching yeah. you really have that um, development of that relationship which I really loved yeah um, went through had my baby had maternity leave went back to my nursing job and went oh no I can't yeah. keep doing this <laughs> it was probably that change from being full-time into part-time I was mm. in a different kind of educating role at the time and I didn't get a grasp of working part-time and trying to mentor new nurses and mm. I was like I couldn't run with it like I had when I was working full-time so yeah that's okay. when I decided what am I going to do and how what's it going to look like I am can you tell me actually the it's been interesting reading about midwives and doulas yep. what is the difference between a midwife and doula because I know there are some cases where people are like have both um, so, I think you would probably find it quite different in different countries mm. um, and different, again, different areas. Midwives are 
going through university, they've done degrees, they have a medical base for their knowledge and they have a code of ethics and practice that they have to abide by. Yeah. Um, I don't know the, the doula pathway, to be honest. It isn't a – like you can self-assign yourself as a yeah. doula. Um, or birth – some people say birth support person. Some people call yeah. themselves as doulas. Same thing. There's no accreditation. There is courses. There is things that you can do to improve on that um, and increase your skills. Sometimes there are midwives who decided that they don't want to work in the shift work and do all that yeah. and, and don't want to be accountable for the birth. So then the doula – or birth support person can come in. So essentially anyone that you have in with you helping you but not making any medical decisions or clinical decisions is like your birth support person. Yeah. So in like my simple way of looking at it is you have your midwife or your obstetrician or your your medical side of things mm. and then you have your birth support people and you're either your partner, your mother or your paid person who yes. is a doula okay, that makes or, sense. Or, or a birth support person that you are engaging in and paying for yeah so I think that the only difference is that that's the paid support yeah. but it's not medical based or clinically decision orientated yeah um, so if you don't have um, I don't know maybe if you need continuity but you don't have that in your midwifery space then you might need that. If you've had previous trauma or birthing experience or hospital trauma or something like that that's going to make it hard for you to operate in that space, mm. then maybe a paid person could help. It is tricky when they... I do find sometimes that boundaries are a little bit greyed. Yeah. And when you walk into a birthing unit with your paid support person if they are trying to help you with your decision making it can be complicated from the from the hospital side of things so that's where I kind of sit like yeah I we do have doulas that come in in the John Hunter and and they support women and uh, like I saying there is a different reasons why people choose them um, I don't mind working with doulas at all but it's a real it's a tricky ground that you kind of navigate when you work in, walk into that space and some midwives don't really like it because it mm. can be a bit of a clash of interests and when we're trying to talk to a woman because it is their birth we often find that the birth support person or the doula speaks for them and we really kind of gets our back up because we're like we don't want to talk to you we want to talk to the patient but they're there in a role of I know this person and I know what they want but we can't take that. <laughs> yeah. So it's like treading that really carefully yeah. and making sure that there's respect on both sides and that we still have to get the woman's opinion, like decision. Yes. We have to know that she's understood. She does have to interact with us as caregivers. We can't just have a non-verbal yeah. interaction have and have, have somebody who is not your next of kin yes. giving us your answers. So that's a bit of that grey um, I think there's a place for them, it's like I think, especially if there is some trauma there. Mm. And, and it's, I think a lot of that work is done in that antenatal space. Yeah, okay. I feel like sometimes you, your choice of doula would be the key. Yeah. You don't want to be 
to intending to birth in the hospital setting and the doula is giving that vibe of it's a fearful place, a place that you have to fight at, you have to be confrontational if yeah. you want what you want. There's a bit of that culture of like a bit of a grudge against yeah. the medical system with That's some right. of that. I was actually talking to a, a couple yesterday in the clinic and they were asking me the same kind of questions like what is the group practice and what are, what are you doing? <laughs> what, mm. um, what kind of support should I have? What kind of courses should I do? And and I'm like one of my key things with like if you are engaging in all of these things that all have great merit, but you don't want to be walking into a hospital setting, which is where you're going to be birthing with a fear mentality. Mm. These courses and these people are supposed to take that fear element out. So if you feel like yep. there is fear rising in that, that's not right. And it's maybe not the right person. Which is ironic because I think a lot of their messaging is like, is we're going to remove the fear yes, and the, the yes. interference. And but we like see people walk in and they are like, got their punching bag. Like they are ready mm. to fight and they're ready to fight for their own rights. But I'm like, there's no fight to be had. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need you to fight. We're on board. <laughs> we want to be there to support you. And yeah, I think we're all on the same team. What I love about midwifery, it's like that medical understanding and mm. you are accountable and you do have to make decisions and you have to know your limitations and refer appropriately so that's like a huge part of it but you're also there one-on-one -on -one with your woman that's allocated in labor you're there supporting guiding helping encouraging them to you know for me I am more on the natural side so I'm like really wanting to support that kind of process and and you can change the dynamic of the room and you can change that um, that if they're rising in fear or I can't do this, you can help bring them back down yeah. just by being present and you know encouraging and coaching. And then there are times where you might need those interventions and mm. and giving that um, being able to like just prepare them for the potential direction of where things are heading just means that they can walk through those processes and it's not just like all of a sudden you're hitting the emergency buzzer and there's 10 people coming in the room. Yeah. There are always signs leading up to that and it's just being, a, being open without making it fearful. Yeah, and I think, you know, I am totally determined to have a natural home birth, yeah. but I also have to be, you know, strong in my opinion and decision, but flexible in the way that it turns out. Yes. Yeah. Because the worst thing would be to end up in an emergency C-section, really fearful, really upset and disappointed and yes. dealing with guilt and shame around that when it's yeah. like, if at the end of the day you get a baby that's ha healthy yeah. and alive, that's the ultimate goal. And I, like, sometimes... It boggles my mind. Well, I probably there is a, an understanding in it, but you can see women coming in with that mentality. They've they've transferred from the Belmont Hospital for whatever reason. It's medically not appropriate for them to either birth at Belmont or at home, so they've come in. That team don't come and work in the hospital. They're trying to keep that whole, mm. we're doing this in the natural and we stay at, at our space. So then we come and take over. Um, and they're obviously disappointed this is not what they wanted. Um, this wasn't in my birthing this plan. This wasn't in the plan. <laughs> um, and that sense of, I thought I could do it and I can't, like something's wrong. And they lose that faith and trust in their bodies because they've just been told we have to transfer and this is, these are the reasons. Um, but when you work with them and you work through the processes, everybody does want a healthy baby at the end. And the more they feel like they can regain that control, like, okay, this is in front of me, but you still have these choices. Mm. Or this is why we're offering this. And the more you do that work, then you can end up what might look like to me, that was pretty intense and pretty traumatic. And they're there, thank you so much for 
helping us and guiding us. Mm. I, we feel really comfortable about this. We needed to be here and we're feeling like this was an, a, a, actually a really good experience. And I'm like, wow, okay, I did my job well. Yeah. <laughs> but you see other people were like, natural birth, they're screaming out, I want an epidural. And they're like, oh yeah. my goodness, the baby's coming. I'm really sorry. <laughs> and then they have the baby and they're like, that was the worst thing I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. And you're like, this is like the dream of some people. Yeah. But for you, you're now traumatized by it. <laughs> Oh, man. And so it's all relative to yeah. um, not just the things that you want, but that whole process of have that control, that, that you've had control throughout the process. You might not be in control, but you you still have a sense of you're directing where it's going yeah, with the right. information in front of you. Mm, mm. So, yeah, I think that can be done well um, mm. in all the different spaces. And I guess that brings me back to the, you know, getting independent midwives or doulas or free birthing, that space can be, um, can have an element of risk yep. if they're not operating in their level of um, competency. Mm. Like, so, so for example, in Newcastle, like I was saying, we have these group practices that do home births that come under the umbrella of the hospital. Um, we have a group practice that's based at the John Hunter as well. So if you wanted to birth at the John Hunter, they are a continuity of care model as well. Um, if you don't meet the criteria of those birthing um, criteria, like the Belmont one, like you actually have some complex medical things or you've had a complex birth in the past and mm. or, you know, there are even simple things like a large BMI, a small BMI. These things put you outside of the normal. You need more surveillance, you need more um, investigation and yep. medical oversight. It doesn't mean you see doctors all the time, but it's just a different model. And so th the group of people who are desperate for that, but then they find out, oh, I can't use yes. those things because I don't meet the criteria. If they remove themselves from that and go seek an independent midwife, like that independent midwife should be following those guidelines. Yeah. And they are taking on board that risk. And then it, depending on that in, um, relationship they have with the hospital, will the referral happen in a timely manner if it's required? Yeah. And that's the question that sometimes when we f see people transfer in those spaces, it's usually too l later than it should have yeah. been. And there are com complications arising. You don't have the time to do that groundwork to get that person settled. It's like emergency situations. Yeah. Um, Belmont less so because they transfer well. Yeah, okay. There is signs, there is escalations, even in the birthing, where it get, they transfer well. Mm, mm. Um, it might be disappointing, but it's not as such an emergency situation yeah. where sometimes yeah. with with that space, especially the well, the free birthing, where you don't have any professional person with you. Yeah. What are the what are the common interventions that you often see? Like when if there's a complication, whether it's minor or major, like what do you typically see? The John Hunter is very medicalized. Mm. There's very high intervention rate, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing is because we have these great um, other group practices, then they kind of take all these beautiful, right, lovely, healthy women without any medical issues, and they so birth you're with left them. with a population of people that so are. So we high have risk. a higher population of that. Then we have. Um, a high catchment area. So Newcastle, like John Hunter, takes in co like past Coffs Harbour, Armadale, Narrabri, um, this huge big catchment. Mm. Um, so anyone who is high risk 
they don't birth at those regional hospitals. Ah, okay. So John Hunter's like all they have the to come spot. to us. We also have the NICU with the um, level three NICU, so right. it is the highest level of NICU that you can have. So any preterm baby, any at risk mm. pregnancy, okay, has to birth yep. here. So um, a hospital equivalent in Sydney has a more rounded catchment. They have healthy and not healthy. We have a yeah. huge non-healthy. Yeah. <laughs> We're not saying non-healthy. I mean, just like higher That's risk. just the population that, that you end up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get a lot of those transfers in um, because of that. Um, and that probably just changes the culture a little bit mm. within the space. Mm. So, you know, the, all the medical that are working in there have, and in the midwives, we are under the pump and we work with high pressure, high risk all the time. Yeah, interesting. So it's it's probably harder to switch that off and actually remember how amazing natural birth can be and have faith in it. I feel like sometimes I don't see enough of that and I know it, but I know it because I did it. Yes. <laughs> so that helps me to go, <laughs> yes, it can be it's done. <laughs> there is normal, there is natural and there is, you know, very minimal intervention is required when things are going fine. Mm, so um, I like to hold that space and encourage that in my work area because, again, I'm not in the group practice, I'm at the John Hunter. So, um, and, you know, because of that, I want to try and keep that kind of, space as yeah. yes we can trust this and sometimes it is a matter of having conversations with the medical staff outside of the room going you do not need to come in here oh but I want to but I don't want you to yeah, yeah. and you can trust me on that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'll come to you when I we need more intervention um, and but this is where I'm at and mm. you know you midwives do do that probably way more than what the women in the room are interesting you know we're ducking mm. out up you know that transfer of information this is what's happening this is where we're at and sometimes that's just so that you can say and you don't need to come in here yes <laughs> yeah all good. yeah <laughs> yeah that's really cool I think it's just nice to hear that, that you know someone advocating for Absolutely. it on the side right yeah and that is one of like such a huge role of midwifery Mm. that there is about advocacy, like advocacy and now that there's a bachelor of midwifery that you can go straight into midwifery right. without nursing the model that they teach there is so much more about it's with women you are there supporting women they learn all about the normal bit of a shock for the poor guys when they start working in our unit which is a lot of the yeah. high risk intervention they're like I didn't study all this <laughs> stuff and they've got a big learning curve in our space but it's so nice that they have come from that space of normal natural independent uh women and and supporting women in that journey so because mm. you know we do cover from the concept pretty much from you know your conception to the six-week postnatal period yeah. that's like your midwifery field yeah so you've delivered a couple of babies from people at the gym. Well, I was I was kind you, of like their yeah. support, like the guardian support angel, person. just <laughs> yeah. floating so right now. So that's right. So like um, yeah, so I was being with these girls, but they I wasn't on shift at the time, so I wasn't being paid to do the birthing. So I really was like the doula, really. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the support person, yeah. not making the decisions, um, and just being there. And it was probably again, it's a lot of that work that you do in conversation before birthing and then just 
like that reassurance that yes you can do this and and like yeah. helping through yeah. those processes there I think so. the the thing that is probably scary and overwhelming is just being in an environment that you feel so unfamiliar with and yes. being around people that maybe you don't know and so yeah it does make sense that they're having someone that you can just feel that you are comfortable with and trust that you can have conversations with where you don't have to make decisions and feel like you don't know enough information and there's no pressure it's like I think having that person makes a lot of sense to my brain it does (laughs) um I can't guess one off speed because I have obviously you don't work in that and I have whoever walks in or I'm allocated wherever I think that in that birthing space the changes in women is pretty amazing Mm. and it's almost like you are geared up to be open and you are like I just I never I feel like the rapport I make with the women who are birthing is different to any interaction I have with people outside of that space and why because they just open to like I don't really know yeah okay (laughs) but I think it's probably the like that is that level of trusting that is that level of you are requiring support and mm. help and I'm that person and, and obviously we are skilled and, and know what we're doing. You come in, you're trying to alleviate any fears, you have interactions and, and you're there sometimes quietly. It's just sometimes sitting. The fact mm. that you're in that room is that support. Mm. And and I think back to when I had my my first two before I became a midwife those and and all of the midwives that were with me in the delivery but that first two I was like their faces their names that person is going to be with me till the day I die yeah like that's the interaction that you had I have never seen them since but they are so much woven into my life and my experience in those that day Mm. um and it's kind of like sacred and they you just welcomed them in and they were there and like they didn't do very much because I had a normal water birth like but they mm. they were there that's a common story where yeah. you hear people being like the midwives were amazing like just phenomenal yeah and I think like they're saying those the four births I had those four midwives I'm not one for you know huge accolades or thank you so much or mm. all that kind of stuff but like they are definitely like woven into me yeah my, and cool. I f- remember that when I'm birthing women yes yeah and and I'm sure they remember me more than I remember them yeah, yeah. <laughs> in that space because like you know you move on to the next person but you it's like you have to make that rapport that relationship yes. on the go really fast get, gain the trust but it's it is a double side it's even in the most um, difficult of situations or the most um, complicated social background, I still feel like they are, in a sense, vulnerable and Mm. open to your support in that moment. Yeah, it's ultimate vulnerability, right? Like, (laughs) total. Um, What do people, like, what should people, I guess, expect or maybe prepare for going into birth? Um... There's a lot. I think you can really, when you're working with people, like when, if I'm working at the John, if somebody has done some education, some or you know whether that be through the hospital-run program or online courses or the reading or all that kind of stuff, if they've done that, they're so much more ahead of the game mm. um, in that birthing space. Like, it doesn't mean they'll be able to navigate all things or know all things but when you're having conversations with them it's like okay I remember a little bit of that and then you can build on it yeah um they have an opinion about it and then we can discuss that 
yeah. as opposed to, I don't know, I don't know, whatever you think. And we're yeah, like, oh, that's okay. a huge thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I think more trauma comes at the end is like, they're like wanting to be, oh, I'll just go with the flow. Oh, I'm just going to trust you. The professionals will know. I'm like, oh, you need to have a little bit of an understanding mm. of, of what it is or what's happening. So then when you have, uh, we'd like to do this, you can either have the conversation say, I, do I really need to do that? Why do I have to have that? Mm. And if they can go X, Y, Z, and be like, no, that makes sense. Yep, let's go with that. That can be like a 30-second yeah. period. Like it's almost like just having language that's yes, shared. If yes. you walk in without any knowledge, then you're learning the language yeah. on the moment that you're trying to do yeah. the thing. <laughs> that's right. Like nobody really goes, oh, I'm going to sign myself up for a episiotomy and a forceps delivery. <laughs> But if you have no idea what that means and then a doctor says, I need to do an episiotomy for, on you and you're like, um, 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 and we've got our stuff ready because <laughs> we're, mm. we're getting this stuff ready while we're having the conversation. And so we just need a little bit of a, yep, let's go ahead with this and it's right in there. So it seems to be forced upon, but it's done in a space of we need to do this. But if you're, if you're in that if you're birthing and uh, we need to know episiotomy and you can say or your partner can say um why do you need it and if they're like this this and this I'm like do we have to do it now or do I have time mm. and and they're like okay we'll give you three more contractions oh you interesting. Know, three more pushes if you if we don't have the progress really think we need to do this and there might be a bit more of a or like oh no we are really concerned about your baby's heart rate right now and this really needs to be the next interesting push. okay and you're going to have to explain episiotomy now Oh, it's where we do a cut when the baby's head is crowning ah, to expediate okay. delivery. Yep, yep, so yep. there's a number of different reasons why. Um, but the ma- major that we do at John, the John Hunter is if there's a distress and the, that last bit is just not happening quick enough. And we mean distress is like that heart rate is like extremely low mm. and we are worried about that baby's condition. Um, so that would be a reason we would do that to try and mm. just finish off that last bit because sometimes that might take another five minutes and we don't yeah. have another five minutes. So it might be suggested we really like need to do this and we, then we can have baby. Or if you're doing a forceps, which is like the like I've the seen them. Yes, thing. I've seen them. Like I watched a video of a woman like kind of showing on a model where they slide in one and slide in the other. Yeah, and it, it <laughs> yeah. So if you're doing, if they're needing to do that, then a physiotomy is is um, less. It's found through you know evidence that if the episiotomy is made, there's less damage done to the pelvic area because that is a metal piece and it will be pulled through that space that hasn't stretched properly because the head is not crowning at that point you don't need it if the head is crowning yeah yeah um so if you're using forceps your the baby's head is further um away from that perineum edge so you're just going to be dragging and pulling and stretching it through yeah where if you have the cut then it's open and you can do that without causing bad tearing so you're wanting to minimize the actual um like the more, you know, we call them third or fourth degree tears where it goes through into the muscle. You don't want those. The episiotomy will reduce that risk. Yeah, of that. interesting. Um, yeah. They're the main reasons that we yeah. do them at the John. Preventing that. Oh, and th- then if you can see, oh, this is not looking good. It looks like we're going to have a particularly bad tear. Then going early and doing a cut away from that um, it kind of area can prevent that tear to going straight through to the muscle. Um, mm. You can um, help that um, protect so that space. So yeah. it's a protective way of trying to prevent the worst tears 
or it's a because we're using the forceps or it's a we uh, your baby does not have the time for mm. us to keep going we need baby at you know with the next push <laughs> yeah yeah okay so it kind of sounds like then in terms of what to expect it's like or or you know how to prepare for things it's like you almost want to be in the best of both worlds not so set on a plan and fully prepared and assuming you know what's going to happen yeah. and also not totally clueless walking in with this is my first interaction with even the idea of giving birth yeah, it's like you got to yeah. be somewhere in the middle That's a little right. bit yeah absolutely and then with interacting with a midwife how like at what point do you encourage people to do that Oh, so like the process for Newcastle at the moment, um, when you go to your GP with a, I'm six weeks pregnant, I weed on a stick, yay, Mm. you go to your GP. Mm -hmm. Um, They will confirm your pregnancy with a blood test and they should order all the basic um, blood tests that we like to cover, you know, your... um, different immunities your hemoglobin levels like Mm -hmm. all lots of different things like and um just a range of blood tests Mm -hmm. so they all usually do that then and there and they send a referral to the um your chosen model so if you're going oh i'm going to go through the john hunter they'll send a referral through to the john hunter or even if it's anything public private pretty much so public Mm -hmm. it gets sent and then um at the 12 week appointment you will have it at the john hunter um, and you'll have this whole process of your 12-week scan at the john hunter a talk with the doctor um, they'll go through you like they do this risk profile mm. i'm like 50 50 on that but <laughs> but it still has some validity in it yeah um and i'm then pretty sure like my bmi is definitely out of range because of muscle i'm gonna be super intrigued with that kind of assessment <laughs> yeah um when when we model like we're talking like 30 35 bmi is being too high okay all right cool <laughs> i think i'm fine. okay i think <laughs> i'm okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah no so it's like i think it's 15 is the low end and like 30 35 is the higher yeah end. interesting so i'm sure you'll be in yeah <laughs> um but the they like they do this risk profile they work out what model is going to be th- the best for you and they'll give you they should give you the description of all of them at the time yeah um you know like if you're normal and you're wanting a normal birth and you're like i'd really like to group practice they can refer you from there the um the only challenging in that space is like the belmont not so much because there's a little bit of people like oh no that's not for me so that space often has uh, vacancies at that 12-week mark but the john hunter based continuity of care model is very popular mm. and they if you haven't already engaged in that you're probably too late by the 12 week mark oh, interesting <laughs> so that's just here because it's the same thing like uh, this is a little bit different but um with healthcare, private health insurance with like getting the 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 prenatal postnatal pregnancy whatever it is you have to sign up ahead by like 12 months to yeah. actually get it there's often a oh yes for the health insurance for the health insurance yes yeah, you have to have a 12 like, month yeah yep. so it's like if you if you find out you're pregnant too late sorry yeah you can pay though <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and your health insurance doesn't cover a lot of your obstetrician well that's what greg and i were kind of having the conversation he's like i don't know what it actually covers based on what you want to need so it's like no so i have private health insurance and we did not use it we went oh, through the public health yeah. system um with the continuity of midwifery care model i don't know and sorry that was belmont 
Yes. Yeah. So, okay. for the so last that's, two years, that's, so that's public. Belmont is yeah, public. Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. You don't pay a cent. Oh, wow. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> so the whole process is no cost. Yeah. Um, Anyone who's not in Australia, people in America right now would um, be like, are you kidding? You can have a home birth supported by a midwife yeah. with an obstetric oversight and not pay a cent. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And, and have that support from 12 weeks to two weeks postnatal. Mm. That is all provided. Um, but if you went through private obstetrician, then you, same deal. You see your GP, you go, I want to go private. Usually, if you don't have a name in mind, the GP has preferred people that they will refer to. Mm -hmm. And they'll go, oh, I really like this person. Um, would you like me to put that referral through? And then that might be the way you decide who's going to be your person. Right. Um, and then that you can birth through the private hospital or you can uh, some of them birth at the John Hunter. So if you don't have mm. the finances or the health insurance, you can pay for your obstetrician appointments and for their call on call and then you go through the John Hunter and you don't pay for your hospital stay. Yeah, okay. So but your private health insurance pretty much pays for your hospital stay. Yeah. Not much more than that. Yeah. And yeah. you still have to pay your excess, but to yeah. go to hospital. Yeah. But from then on <laughs> it you don't have to pay. So I can see why they stay for their five days, mm. like in hospital. Yes. Because yeah. that mentality <laughs> okay. of like, okay, this is actually what I'm paying for. Mm. Mm. Um, where in Belmont, you, if you birth at home, you don't even leave your house. Or if you birth at Belmont, you go home after six hours. You yeah. don't stay overnight there. Yeah. You're yeah. only there for that initial um, assessment and um, like that immediate postnatal period. And the midwives come to you every day yeah. to visit you at home. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty freaking awesome, really. Oh, it's amazing. Mm, yeah. Mm. So then if we're speaking about people that are potentially going through that Belmont, and really I'm saying if we're speaking about me. me yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are the, and I guess, you know, you have been around people that have been at the gym. For some reason, I've got it in my head that I'm like, oh, I'm too strong and muscly. I've got a super tight pelvic floor. My baby's going to get stuck. Like that's, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is what are the things that you would look at me and go, I'd suspect maybe this could be a path that you go down or maybe this would be a path that you go down in terms of what pops up at the time. Um, look, I feel like the well, – oh, think about if you look at the, the elite athletes that you know, mm. like Tia has had – I don't know what her birth story is. She seems to be recovering well. Yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so she has – she had a normal birth and she had it in America. I don't know all those things mm. around her, but it – like – she would have been that example of her muscles must have been, you know, they're super strong and yeah. she has managed to do just fine. Yeah. Um, some of the other ones have had a little bit more trouble, I think, mm. if you look at what they've written and their own social media things and they have had some assisted deliveries um, and but they still had natural births. Mm. So mm. Um, that would be something I would go like personally for you. There are pelvic floor health, physios mm. and techniques to help you relax those right, relax. muscles. I've got some drills. And I've got some drills from my physio. Yeah, <laughs> and it's probably not that, oh, my muscles are so strong and tight and they're not going to allow that. It's that learning how to it's switch it off yeah, mm. um, and not hold it tight. And, and the same deal with it's also about how that baby engages down in your pelvis. So learning ah. about optimal positioning in your pregnancy and mm. learning about that and how you can optimise that head coming down and being engaged and in the right kind of position. Oh, and that that's can interesting. Help you. 
Mm. Yeah, okay, cool. Because, um, yeah, you definitely have – I actually just recently watched Kara Saunders' Second Birth. Oh, okay. She put that. it on a whole the whole video pretty much, oh, wow. more or less, um, on her YouTube. Uh, and she ended up staying at home. Like, and yeah. she just, like, it was, like, towels and yoga mats on the ground and yeah. just stayed at home. <laughs> I don't know what her first birth was. I um, have a feeling it may have been – a longer second stage and maybe an assisted delivery, but I can't remember yeah, specifically. I, I don't think it was a home birth because no. she was talking about that like it's this was the first – she wasn't expecting to do it and things like that. Um, so I don't know if it was necessarily planned. It was just a we'll stay at home as long as we can and then yeah. we'll go if we need to. Um, and then you hear quite a different story from Annie Thora's daughter yes. where it's like she's it's, – it was full on. Yes. <laughs> and things happened too late in the process with – I think it was a, trying to get an epidural or something. It would just happen too late. Um, so it's, I think that's actually a really good point. I have to remember, like, there are many CrossFitters who have yes. <laughs> given birth and it's been okay. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. I feel like, well, I was doing CrossFit before I had Zoe, mm. but it was my fourth. So that made things have pretty relaxed. Right. <laughs> so, um, and I didn't have any issues at all with all four of them, but, um, I was fit and healthy, but I yeah. wasn't as, I was probably stronger when I was 37 having Zoe. As my fourth. Interesting. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I actually wanted to ask questions about things like I actually – the reason I'm asking this is literally yesterday I saw someone talking about the vitamin K. Yes. Um, either it's an oral drop, is it, or a, like a shot? It can be either. Yeah. Um, and they were kind of arguing against it, but I've also read in books an argument, very strong argument for, for it. Um, with, you know, things like vitamin K and then other vaccines, like when do the decisions have to be made for that stuff? Because I think vitamin K is immediately. So, yes, we do vitamin K and hepatitis B vaccine at, as in New South Wales, like Hunter New England Health. Mm. Um, and that is done after birth, but it's done like you have the breastfeed and all of the, like, it's not until you the baby's ready to come off your mum's yeah, chest okay. that we go and do those things. So they're not like, you have to know right now yeah. um, before so that we can do it. It will be asked usually in, like, if I don't know you or your preferences and we're starting the whole labour process and we're s before it gets really heated, we have, I like to bring it up. Like, yeah. have you learned about it? Do you know about it? Do you have an opinion on it? And if they're like, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine. I just write it down. We don't have to have that conversation again. And then when it's time, like two or three hours after the birth, we're like, okay, well, now it's time. I'd like to do these. Are you still yeah. okay with that? Um, do you have any questions about it? And then and you go from there. So there's no like emergency re reasoning mm. that you have to have a decision made. Mm. If you want further clarification, then you can get that through talking to a doctor or yeah. just your midwife. Yeah. But the vitamin K, um, and you've probably read it, like it's trying to prevent um, hemorrhagic disease mm. of the newborn. They don't have vitamin K in their system. Which is so interesting. Like yes. just as a concept that babies are born deficient in vitamin K. Yes. It's so it's so interesting. And the and so you don't not like babies don't necessarily have that all babies have that risk or having that uh, hemorrhagic disease but you can't test for it mm. so and often it's internal is that right so yeah you often if you if there is a risk you may not know until it's yeah you, there might be um bleeding happening like internal mm. that you don't know about and it is all around that birth process so like if you have a traumatic birth 
and right. you have um, have this like risk and then you don't have the vitamin K, then you are really, ex- you know, increasing your risk of having this pretty traumatic thing mm. happening. So um, I guess from our, when I'm talking to to the women about it, like, okay, well, this is, we know that it has improved our statistics dramatically of these hemorrhages. Mm. Um we have a birth space where it, it can be a normal birth. It could be just that it happened really fast and the baby hit the pelvic floor, rotated, and is born really fast. They mm-hmm. can look more black and blue than somebody who's been vacuumed out. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they've been sitting on a specific part of the pelvis and they can have what looks like a Von Tuss, like bump on their head, but it's actually the force of that baby's head on the pelvic bone. Oh, interesting. So those kind of things, and that's what we're really concerned about, any kind of head... Mm. related trauma um you have the vitamin k you decrease the risk from that is zero right so it's encouraged um the injection is a one-off injection and it's done at like yeah from two hours usually a birth yeah if you opt for the oral um drops it's like you do it at birth you have to do a day three and then you have to do on day seven Mm. um the research on that is it's not uh, it's nowhere near as effective. They don't always people don't always finish the yeah, course of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to challenge the. I know injections feel harsh, like this is a needle going into a baby's skin, and that's a probably overwhelming. But I also feel like protecting the gut flora is probably to me more important. Mm. <laughs> You're adding something that's not necessarily need to be in there through so the gut if you and asking an immature oral, gut. It will go through the through gut. gut. Yeah. Right. Goes through the gut. And you go like what is that doing to the mm. that how um effective is that going to be as well? Because you that has never processed anything other than mm. amniotic fluid. <laughs> yeah. Um and and you're yeah, and just that one off risk, you're going straight into where it needs to go. It gets absorbed into the bloodstream quickly. There's no side effects really like I've never seen anything that yeah. is adverse from the vitamin k injection yeah the hepatitis b vaccine is probably more of a where do you sit on the side of vaccinations mm. and um there is I guess the hepatitis b is not such a big issue in Australia so you could argue why, why do we do it but then mm. the fact that we do it is why we don't have the <laughs> issue like, yeah <laughs> so it's um it's great that we don't have that issue here mm. in in, in mm. Australia. The immunization regime requires like uh, three doses to start building your immunity. So we start it earlier so we can get that immunity mm. going. If you choose not to have it at birth, that is fine. You can catch that up, but it oh, will require you to follow that through. Mm. And again, as part of Australia's policies. Um, the immunisation criteria to be going into preschools and daycare centres and they want all of those tick boxes done. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a requirement for schools and yeah. care and stuff like that. What Do you know exactly which ones are the typically the required ones? Oh, I probably have to just think about that through my own <laughs> Um I know that we do the hepatitis B at that yeah. birth. Um, you have the... Hepatitis B, um, diphtheria, tetanus, rubella, um, there is meningococcal, there is polio. Yeah. 
they're the ones I can think of. Yeah, I could probably go grab the blue ones. book out. <laughs> 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 but it is like that's part of child and family health that they mm. take that role on, mm. or your GP. Yeah, and there is a set regime of at three at like six weeks and at three months yeah and six i've seen months they've got a, a whole graph which yeah. is really cool so they will have all of the mm. different ones that re- are required so like if you do miss one then is there are in a timely sense that they're set with different time frames to increase that immunity and so that that is most likely that you would have immunity for yeah that particular yeah. disease yeah yeah um, okay and yeah and that's a whole different Genre yeah, of I mean questions. that's on the other side of it, right? It's <laughs> if like you decide to or not with the immunisation. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's not. You don't have to have all those answers for that immunisation at that time. Yeah, you can, and it's probably more. Um, it it won't be questioned or you won't be harassed over the hepatitis B. Yeah, okay. it, anybody. Like if you're like, oh, I'm not really comfortable just yet. I don't really want that. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Um, you can. You can that's your choice. Yeah. The vitamin K one, you might get a little bit of a, do you understand? Do you know why we're doing it? Or well, we would strongly recommend it. Mm. We've just done a uh, suck your baby out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've just used the Von Trus and it's got to be yeah. its head. <laughs> we'd really strongly yeah. recommend that um, kind of conversation. Uh, yeah. And if you're like, no, no, well, look, we're probably going to have to get the the neonatal team to come and have a chat to you about the risks. Yeah, okay. And, and, and just make sure that you're So you'll kind of get a sense of like you know what the encouraged decision is even though you still get to ultimately decide yes I guess that's the thing I think a lot of people probably build up to thinking about the birth um and probably don't even consider the placenta um as part of it and then even the when you get home with a baby it's like you know I think people do refer to it as the fourth trimester a bit more commonly now or the first 40 days is kind of a bit more known but um yeah there is a big build-up to just the birth I had a I had a friend of mine just recently she was like hey I know you're getting ready to do this just so you know I wish someone had told me birthing the placenta was the most horrible experience (laughs) of my life and I was like oh god okay yes I don't know if that helps or not but all right we do and like that is part of like so like like I was saying earlier I work in the antenatal clinic as well so we have set schedules of the the, when you come in what weeks you are as it's getting closer and closer to birth is definitely a conversation I like to have about one, when to call up the hospital, like don't mm. call us on your first contraction type question, you know, discussions or what can you do at home to try and encourage people to stay home as long as they can. So you talk about that, the risks of things you have to call and, you know, if these are happening, please call us and we will advise you over the phone. And then it's the, okay, Liv, have we, has anyone talked about the placenta yep. <laughs> and how that is delivered? Because there's a different ways of doing that too, as well as just like you have to be present, like... It's it, like your labor's not over. I was going to say, is it? does it feel the same as tr- birthing the child or does oh, it no, feel no, no. different? Oh, yeah. That's much better. And, and okay, so it is – okay. <laughs> no, no, is it a it similar have to be the worst physical experience. sensation? Because I know it's like the placenta has to like essentially depart from the wall of the uterus, right, and then pass through the vaginal yeah. canal. Like, So you will not feel it detached from the uterus. Okay, because I was There's like, no all I'm thinking that. of is like – is it like your the cramps that you get with periods with yes. like your uterus? Yes. So like it's a similar kind okay. of cramping. And it depends on whether you choose a what we call like a physiological or a um, like a, a medical intervention type placenta delivery. So if you are choosing to completely do it on your own with no medical intervention, then 
you will probably experience more of the cramping and you will have to do the physical pushing mm-hmm. out your placenta. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. You've just pushed out something hard and this is something soft. It's yeah, you don't have that same feedback mechanism of you're like, I'm pushing, but what am I pushing? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel quite right. It just feels uncomfortable and heavy, but you've had a whole baby in there, so it doesn't, yeah. nothing feels really right. So is a weird sensation of what am I trying to do here? So sometimes you need a bit of gravity, sit on the mm-hmm. toilet, we can mm-hmm. get like bags and things so we can catch it, things like that. Um, and it is up to you. We can't help deliver that placenta by pulling on it because ah. we need to be sure that there's complete detachment in, of the placenta yeah. through your own hormonal mechanisms and all of those things. So, Because if there's any remaining, is that problematic? Yeah. So if, if we were to like pull on that cord when you haven't had any medical intervention for that placenta – we can't be like 100% sure that the whole thing is detached. Mm. We have a, we have like a an assurance that when we give you the injection, the ox, the syntocin and injection for the placenta, that we give that injection and we are sure that that placenta is separated. Where yep. when you don't have that injection, it's your body, your hormones having to release Just that placenta. And it's it it how it's supposed timeline. to, like it's mm. what nature intended. Um, but it means that I'm not going to pull on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because if it's half attached and I start pulling on it, what I do is cause a massive hemorrhage because we have a direct line to your arteries yes. into that placental bed and that's going to just fill up that uterus. Mm, um, right. Because it's actually the how that works is really cool, how the placenta comes away and how those arteries just seal off. Yeah, That's a definite the the, ho- the whole placenta thing <laughs> yeah, is really, really interesting. Cool. How you just grow an organ and then you get rid of it at the end. Yes. Like <laughs> and it's very uh, I um I find them fascinating. And when I was studying in midwifery, the whole that third that like placental delivery mm. was really cool. Because even doing it, not so cool. Yeah. <laughs> learning about it, super cool. Because <laughs> even the attachment of the placenta at the beginning, they have yes. to it has to disguise the cells so that it's not rejected yeah, as foreign yeah. matter. It's a, it's amazing. <laughs> Just yeah. mind-boggling. So you guys um, inspect the placenta. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, afterwards? Absolutely. So I saw a video and it was a woman, a midwife talking about a vegan placenta and a meat-eater placenta comparing them side oh, to side. That's cool. Have you ever seen differences in placentas oh, based on who you're working with? Look, I wouldn't have... Um, I wouldn't be able to say oh, that's a vegan placenta, that's a yeah. meat-eating placenta, but I definitely see the variety of placentas yeah. and what placentas look like. I guess from the things that I mostly see is the not-so-healthy-looking placenta. Yeah, I was going to say like smokers or right. things like that. Smoking, um, if you have uh, preeclampsia, mm. if you have placental issues, like these placentas, some of them, they feel like they fall apart in your hands. Uh, so friable they don't have the lovely folds and the the meatiness of them they're not thicker um yeah so they are what we've got friable or gritty yeah yeah the smoking one particularly it's so um gritty ah interesting and um dead bits in it and it's really obvious those kind of placentas the medical condition ones can look a bit similar like the 
diabetics or the um mm. the like i'm saying the preeclampsia or the blood pressure issues and you know we we're intervening here we're, we're usually getting that baby right. delivered more early because we know that placenta is not functioning mm. like it needs to mm. and so that's that timing of birth so that's why a lot of our interventions happen that timing of birth trying to how long can we leave baby in that's safe we're still having a healthy baby but we don't want to take them too early yeah yeah i've seen a lot of people talking about letting the blood drain back to the baby from ah, the placenta yes. you don't so clamp the cord or cut it so that's away. a standard policy at yeah the john delayed cord clamping that's even cool. for these tiny little premature babies mm. like sometimes i'm there with my sterile gloves on looking at this baby like can i cut the cord can i cut the cord <laughs> i want to cut the cord and we're like all looking at the clock you just have to wait. For, for that like that 30 seconds oh so it's about 30 well, seconds well for that these you little for ones a minute yeah. is the standard but these tiny ones you're like we know how important it is but like this i'm talking like 24 week little tiny babies yeah. and you're oh, just wow. like everyone's poised ready counting yeah. down the the seconds <laughs> to get that baby over to the the NICU resus team. Do you do anything else with the placenta from that point with with premier babies? Oh yeah, we definitely send them off to all pathology just to make sure like okay. what is the reason why we've had this premature birth. Yeah, okay. you know, they'll look at that quite closely. Um did you or would you if you were to have another kid, would you do anything with placenta like keep it and um what are they they turn it into capsules encapsulate it? No. No, I wouldn't. I'm okay with yeah. of that. <laughs> mm. I kind of like, there's some different theories out there too with yeah. encapsulizing. Like it started to really take off and we were, there were some companies in Newcastle that would um, would come and collect the placenta and it was just like a bit of a thing that was happening more mm. regularly. Mm, I don't even know how many years ago now. And then it just kind of fizzled out. But yeah. there's some research that came out that was saying that potentially these encapsules were interfering with breastfeeding <laughs> yeah interesting so i mean i haven't read enough about it the the idea behind it was decreasing postnatal depression increase helping with iron yeah um a few things like that um and there was a lot of good things about it so i was like yeah if i was going to do th anything it probably would have been that i'm not really mm. i'd like i don't really want to bury it my dogs might dig it up yeah. <laughs> eat it <laughs> like i don't want that brought out and and i think even when i was as a midwife, I find them fascinating, but once they start like sitting too long, they're the thing that makes me feel a bit like, oh, <laughs> this is gross, like let me get rid of it. And we have like, well, this was really gross. When I first started midwifery, we had this placenta chomper <laughs> and it just basically was like a meat grinder and it just there went just into that this was years ago and it was like the thing that I hated the most <laughs> you'd lift up the lid the smell would hit you you'd put this thing it would like, like grind it up <gasps> and I think because of that I'm like I don't want to deal with placentas no. after I've had mine <laughs> like you can take that away <laughs> oh wow but people do keep them and they plant them and yep. um or encapsulate them I've heard people keeping them in their freezer for years and then thinking, what on earth I do with this? And then eventually getting rid of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, everyone's got their different it's, version, it's right? It's like, like the wedding cake that you stick in your freezer <laughs> and then eventually you're like, we don't need this. <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah, there's just, I mean, there's just different things that you can yeah. do, right? And many different options. Yeah, so no, the, the encapsulating, I would probably would, if, if it was something I was thinking about, I would do my research on that yeah. because I haven't done that reading, but I have heard potentially the, all the good things about it and then the the trend dying away yeah 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 I guess that's it it's like anything um 
I actually read a great book. It was the first book about birth and pregnancy that I read. And it was um, a woman who's, she's not in the health field at all, but she's an economist. And so she's, she was talking through her process of getting pregnant and figuring out what she needed to do through that and struggled with not getting the information. She was like, I was getting yes, no answers, but no, why should I do this? Mm-hmm. What's the what's the what does the research say what do the statistics say what's my risk what's you know um and so she was like I just couldn't listen to my doctor without getting the information to actually make the decision myself Mm -hmm. it was like they were kind of handing over the decision they'd already pre-made it and just given me hey this is what you're going to do you do that don't do that don't drink this don't eat that um and so the nice kind of lesson that I took from that you know outside of all that's talking about birth and pregnancy was the informed decision-making process Mm -hmm. of don't just say yes I'm going to encapsulate my my um, placenta just because it's this new thing and I think it's good and I've read all the good research it's like get information Mm -hmm. from both sides and make an informed decision with all the information and you know some people will have a high risk or higher like tendency greater tendency to want to avoid whatever risk they observe in that and other people will be like oh no I see that more of the benefits with that and I'm willing to tolerate that risk for those benefits so it's like everyone has their own I guess risk tolerance level Um, and you have to get the information and make those decisions where you do weigh up both sides Um, and that was such a valuable piece of that book and it was just so interesting to read it from someone who you know wasn't wasn't in that space and she's written this book and she's done it again for um like children or toddlers or you know raising kids where she's done kind of the same thing where she's like look let me show you what information I found Mm. and then you can make your decision um and it was just a nice way to look at it with like you know what I don't want to come in super biased to like home birth placentas doulas it's like you actually have to weigh up everything and make your own informed decision um which yeah I just I think that was useful to me and you said it at the beginning it's like whichever you know whichever route you go down everybody has to respect each other that's the way that it works best absolutely and if you get that right I think that's and (laughs) and I like I totally agree with that informed decision like I I guess I well I'm not I'm unashamedly midwifery biased (laughs) (laughs) I'm a midwife I think it's an amazing profession and I love what I do so I you know that is I'm not going to say there's a bias there there definitely is but I when I see people in my community that or friends that I know and they've like gone down different paths and they haven't um, it's just because well you know let's say for example uh, the obstetrician they're like I have private health insurance I'm at this level of in my socioeconomic grouping my friends did that, well, of course, that's what I'm going to do. Mm. And you're just like, you don't quite realise that you're choosing a whole model of care. It's not that you can afford it or you don't aff- can't afford it. It's not that you want a long stay in hospital or not want to... Ho- you're choosing a model. And I don't feel like that is... People don't understand mm. that, that whole... Um, that process. Like, the model is very different. An obstetric model to a midwifery model. It's very different. Um, one of the key things I, f- I see, some people don't want to make these decisions. Some people mm. don't want to take the responsibility for that. That's okay for them. And so uh, choosing an obstetric model where you can say, what should I do, doctor? And they'll say, you do X, Y, Z. And they're like, great. And then they move through it. And that's the way they they choose. And, the, and it sits well with them. And that's great for them. Mm. <laughs> um, 
I guess in that sense, if things don't go like they want them to do, they, they also push that, well, that was that obstetric person, that doctor did not do what they were supposed to do. Or mm. I was let down by that. And I think that's why obstetricians have a huge um, liability <laughs> insurance yeah. and have a whole thing there. If something goes wrong, the blame is associated there directly at that because that person has given over all of that mm. responsibility to that person. So it's a huge load that that model carries, but it becomes very interventionalist because of that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're flavouring it differently. Yeah. Um, where, and like you're saying, there are people who don't want to take those responsibilities. Like, oh, I want the best for my baby. Um, I don't want to make those calls. I want someone else to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they go down that path. Mm. But... It's the people who don't even think about it being a model of care and a type of, you know, what you're what you're walking into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and some people have gone down the midwifery one and they haven't enjoyed that and they've gone down the concern, like the obstetric path. Mm. And like, again, you can see benefits in both sides. Do you notice a big difference with people that are first-time birth givers and yeah. people that have had a kid or two before or is the experience kind of similar like I guess I imagine that if you've had one baby maybe the second time through you assume that you know what to expect but then it's quite a different experience or people do tend to be more relaxed and kind of go with things and know feel more comfortable like do you notice quite a drastic there's, difference there's a huge difference mm. and there's a lots of different reasons for the differences like first labors do tend to be longer for the first time. Yeah, yeah, they do tend to be longer. You Is have that just the body's not... Yeah, the, it's, it's, it's just the body a new processing. thing. The early stage of labour is where you often have the length in your first baby. Yeah. Um, there's a lot going on in that early stage of labour. It's not just about your dilating and getting into rhythm of regular contractions. So that can be really long for first-time mums. And depending on baby positions and things like mm -hmm. that can make it a longer process. And then once you get into established labour, then those timings become a little bit more, you know, similar for the for the subsequent pregnancies. I am give that it's it's a yeah first time mums. It's new. It's so new. It's so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. The minute you pee on the stick, it's overwhelming. There's so much to learn, and that and you and it's not just about learning about the birth or how you're going to what you're going to do with a new baby you're you've become a mother when you when yeah. you you've when you're pregnant and you're progressing in that journey like it changes then and that is such a huge unknown area of questioning and growth and you know it's part of what's beautiful about the pregnancy mm. you have these nine months of growth I feel like you become a lot more um you know you block out other things that aren't important to you anymore you're focused on growing your baby, your relationships around you and become a lot more insular. Like it's a time where your emotions are all over the place. Your mm. hormone or what you know of your body is not the same anymore. Like I think for personally that was a huge thing for me. It's like this is so weird. I know my body well. Like I did all the <laughs> stuff that you're, you're doing with your preconception care. Like I was into that. I had spent the six months or more prior getting everything, knowing my cycles, knowing everything, having that all laid out, apprehensive. Is this mm. going to be mm. easy for me to fall pregnant? Is it going to be difficult? Um, like, but knew all of that stuff. So it, it was super planned and super organized. And then I was like, yep, 
I fell easily. So it was no long waiting. It was like straight into it. And then when my body started changing, I was like, I do not know how to deal with this. This is so weird. I'm so tired. Mm. I can't think through things. I feel like I'm wading through water. I, mm. I'm falling asleep on the couch at five o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not there for in my relationship with Scott that I used to be. And, and I didn't really care, <laughs> which was so different for me. I was just like, oh, yeah. Like it just yep. felt like – and then I lost my passion for my work. It, mm. was, it was just really different for me. I'm a – doer I like to be active I like to get things done and I lost that mm. in that process of growing a human and so for me that f first pregnancy was a huge big change and then when you start feeling the baby move you're like that's really cool but really weird <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it's like the first bit was like it is alien like it's like yeah. I know that's not my body I oh. know that's not me <laughs> so that is just really foreign and then you learn to go through that. It's exciting, but it's still like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes really cool. I love that. I think I missed that. Yeah, interesting. Years later, it was like that feeling of baby moving. And now when I play with newborn babies and I see the way they move, they move like they're in utero, like they're all. And I can oh, almost so have that feeling yeah, of that yeah. when I kind of bundle yeah, them up yeah. and you can see they how the they're moving. Thing. You're like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. But to start with, it was like, this is so foreign. It's so so it's such a huge change. Yeah. You've got a huge change in growth. You're a huge, different way of thinking, different emotions, different processes. And obviously, we see more, we can see more depression, anxiety mm. rise up. Like, you know how I was talking about how it just changes that space, that openness, like that is a real big thing in, in pregnancy. It's almost like if you've got things that you've been repressing, they'll come to the surface. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you've got things like if there is neglect, abuse or those, you know, mm. things in the, your history and you think, I'm good, I've dealt with those, they'll come up mm. and they'll mm. just come to the surface. Or even just assuming it's unrelated. Yeah. Right, like just assuming, oh, like it's a totally different thing. Yeah, but suddenly that experience is yeah. foreign and you react the way that, you know, you've maybe learned in the past. Yeah, it just the, the pregnancy itself, it just is almost like it brings those things. Um, when I was studying, so that was a while ago, like 12, 13 years ago, but when I was doing my course the, at that time that we had like a, the conversation about domestic violence and all of those kind of more challenging mm. type scenarios and social situations and at that point they were saying that domestic violence increases first time experiences in pregnancy and I was floored by that uh, I don't know if they're still current oh right so the likelihood of domestic violence is more more prevalent in, in pregnancy during pregnancy and it can be often the first experience of domestic violence and you just think <sighs> that is phenomenal to think that you're in that space of you're changing, your emotions are all over the place, and then you have that. Mm. Um, so even in our pregnancy, like antenatally, domestic violence is brought up and questioned and asked. Like mm. we are quite direct in some of our questioning. We know that this is there. Yeah. And we know in society it, it's pretty highly prevalent. 
um, and same with sexual assault and all of those kind mm. of things. This stuff is important and, again, another reason why I think midwifery care is amazing because we care about that stuff and we ask you about that stuff and we make sure that we can get support around it. We also know if we don't have any kind of involvement and assistance there, we're going to really have it come undone yeah. <laughs> in the birthing period and that yeah. postnatal period. So whatever your history is or your experiences are, if we can start getting support in place in the pregnancy, then it's more likely that, that you're going to have that support mm -hmm. when you're postnatally as mm -hmm. well. But yeah, the domestic violence bit, I was like, mm. that is when you feel most vulnerable. Um, I don't really know the science. There's definitely some <laughs> stats around that because I've seen them popping up on my social media. So I'm obviously relying on social media, but yeah. I've heard people talking about um, the the number one cause of death for pregnant women is like their partners either abusing them more to the point of death or abusing them to within inches of it, um, which is it's, it's is really terrifying. But it's the reality. And I yeah, think that I if think you're not talking about it, right. then it's like you do yourself a disservice. Yeah, but it just kind of hones in that whole vulnerability of women in that space, mm, in mm. that pregnancy, what goes through their changes. And and I guess this is purely assumptions of, of, of relationship issues and things, but if you're becoming vulnerable or you're changing and your partner reacts to that in a way that their, their coping mechanisms are not right or their history they haven't dealt with comes out there like... Um, I'm not trying to do a blame culture of they're bad and this is all on them. Like they've obviously got some things going on and the way that their partner is changing is too much for them. Yeah, it makes sense. If you're going through stuff coming up from your past, that, that process, even though it's more physical for the female, for the male, there's probably similar stuff coming up yeah. and it's like it's just a clash and perfect mm. storm for those things to unfold and suddenly you realise things about the relationship that just didn't exist before yes. because it couldn't. So, right. yeah, I actually – I have a couple more questions and then we'll wrap it up, but I wanted to know, in your opinion – what you feel like men need to know more about in terms of, you know, maybe their process of like your partner getting pregnant and what they're going through and then the experience of birth and how they can better support people. Like what do men need to know? I think sometimes, you know, it's very easy to have the conversation between women yeah. and men kind of get excluded. Like <laughs> it's a, it's a tricky kind of, Oh, I guess the, there are like the educational courses, like the parenting mm. slash birthing course that the John Hunter offer, they have like this preparing dad course, like just for men. So they have this, like an actual avenue that you can go to and pursue that. Um, we encourage all the partners to go to the classes. And sometimes when I talk to, you know, um, a woman who's like, oh, I don't really need, want to go. I feel like I'm doing enough reading. I was like, oh, how is your partner going with all of that? Oh, they're, they're not really that interested. They kind of ask questions, but, you know, they're not doing the same level. I'm like, well, sometimes maybe doing the course is also about helping them. Yes. <laughs> and so, like, you might have some intuitive processes and you're feeling really comfortable with pregnancy and birthing point, ideas mm. but they're not the, they're not at that level with you it's going to come crashing right <laughs> in that in that birthing environment um, and we do see some like as a midwife you see the super supportive husbands or partners you see the freaked out partners you see the completely I'm in the corner on my phone kind of partners yeah like all different oh. things um I don't think you could say this is what men need to do, this, this, this and this because yeah. like personally, Scott, not interested in pregnancy at all 
I made him go to the birthing classes. That was, he's so bored. He, <laughs> he hated them. He's like, why do I need to be here? You know all this stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he was not in tune with that. Yeah. It's just not his thing. Yeah. He just thinks pregnancy is like, blah. <laughs> I was like, why couldn't I have had a partner who thinks that I look glorious? <laughs> he's more like, do you know you've got back fat? <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> and then I look in the mirror and I was like, when did that happen? Oh, a while ago. He's like, thanks. <laughs> he was not into it And then all. what was he like at the birth? He does not like birthing. He was had mm. more fear associated with birthing. Interesting. He was an emergency cesarean. Like he was told from a young age that his birth was traumatic. I uh-huh. feel like that implicated how mm. he saw it. But he was honestly terrified that I was going to die and he was going to be left with a child. <laughs> four times. He's like, they were the Every four time. worst days of my life. I'm like, oh, we had normal births. Like I literally didn't need anything. <laughs> like no I wanted that's, to have that's home the birth. trauma coming back up right yes. <laughs> so I had a home I was thinking oh, yeah, I'm really keen for a home birth he's like 100% no yeah not on board with that and I was like come on I thought I'd be able to weave it in and he his answer to that in the end was like home is my sanctuary home is where I come to feel at peace and relaxed and this is where I come home to and I that's my space. I'm like, yeah, but that's why I want to birth in it. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> exactly. And, and he's like, no, I don't want to have memories of you making those noises that you make in labor because this is like the third one. I was like, I don't want to have that association of that in my house because it wasn't enjoyable for him. Mm. <laughs> Even though I literally, he just had to give me ice chips, you know, like yeah. hold my hand. But it was just not that for him. Yeah. And, and so he I'm like, okay, well. I respect that. That's yeah. fine. Belmont is amazing. We can go there. That is fine. That car trip, it's just a 20 more minutes of my labor that I just, time will yeah. pass. <laughs> <laughs> that drive. <laughs> so I was okay with Belmont. Yeah. I think at Belmont, I probably, if, if he was different, I would have had them at home. Mm. But that's mm. fine. Mm. Belmont was great. Yeah, Greg's very like on board with home birth, um, but he was born and had his clavicle broken to get him out. Oh yes, with the so shoulders, yeah. yeah, so and I, do they practice that still? It's it can it can be used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I think he's I got very tall genes, large genes, and I'm like, oh, I think it's going to be a big baby. <laughs> but <laughs> so, like, bearing that in mind, I'm like, it's interesting that he's so like home birth, but I think it's just his nature in terms of his which side yeah. of the fence he stands on. Um, but he refuses to watch videos of birth. Like, ah. you know, you can see so many of them online. Yeah, My yeah. Instagram is absolutely full of them, chock-a-block of just women giving birth. Uh, and so I'll often try and, like, slide, shimmy my phone over to him <laughs> when they're playing and see how he goes. Maybe you could start with, like, animal births. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get him just into ease the, of it. Yeah, look how easy that It's been so amazing <laughs> watching. Yeah, it's so amazing watching the births. Yes. Like, especially coming from such – I was so scared. And it was, it wasn't, I didn't even know why I was scared. I was just like, oh, birth is terrifying. Mm. It's going to be so painful. It's going to be so horrible. And you watch movies and you hear stories of people screaming and it's just, it's alarming and it's, everybody's freaking out. And um, actually the woman who runs BirthFit over in the US, she did, uh, it was like a, you know, it was like some kind of free PDF or free download of how to rethink birth. And it just, it came up and I hadn't even realized that I was thinking about it in a certain way of like the fear thought of, and you know, all these ideas around it being such a negative experience. And then when she put this thing out and I, it it wasn't, the information that was in it wasn't even that earth shattering, but it just Mm. made me realize that I'd taken on this 
opinion or yes. something from you know just inherited experiences yep. or beliefs and I was like oh that, that's actually not necessarily the case no, it's like not it's truth. some of the yeah. experiences for some people but it's very subjective and I'm just taking that on board and no doubt that would have been my experience had I not been fortunate to run into people and be around yeah. the community environment where it's like birth is something that we are designed to do yes. and it doesn't have to be that way no that's right and I think like um and for some people who may not have had that that epiphany before, they can still go through birth and they have an amazing birth. Mm. And they look at, like, I think this is one of the things I will, one of the many things I love about midwifery is as a midwife, you know, I was talking about we're with women, we're supporting, we're helping, we're advocating, we're doing all of those things. But the main thing is that I like, it's your birth mm. and it's your experience. And so when you own that, you own the how amazing you are at the end of it like the too many times when I'm because we do have the obstetricians come in and and we assist them so like they do they come in when the basically the person's ready to push we've done the work with the labor and then the obstetrician like you ring them yep we're we're fully yep come on down (laughs) for the main event and they come in and they do the birth and the a lot of the time the woman says to the obstetrician thank you so much thank you I couldn't have done it without you and there's this whole like adoration like thank you you're Mm. amazing as a midwife I rarely get a thank you but what I Mm. get is the woman going I am amazing did you just (laughs) see what I did (laughs) and like I can't believe I did that and that is more what I get when especially around that natural birthing and we're like people are like I honestly relate like if if there was a bear to walk in that room, I reckon I could tear it apart with how amazing I felt. Like I am um, like so impressed with myself yeah. and my ability to birth. And I see that in women. And it's, yeah, it's more about you are incredible. You are amazing. And it is like a, a very empowering. It's like a, absolutely amazing. Mm. that. And I like you see that more in natural birth because it's not just that you are capable, it's what your body's designed to do with those hormones. Like you mm. have all of these um, oxytocin hormones it's helping you. It's helping you it. with the pain. Mm. And those oxytocin hormones are like so full on in that labor process if you are tapping into them and you're not using other things mm. for your pain relief. And then you have a b- the birth, the pain is gone. Euphoria is high. <laughs> yep, yep. So it's like an, it's supposed to be like that. You're supposed to look at your baby and have this euphoric feeling. It's probably chemistry. <laughs> Literally, it's, yes. It's not even like... Chemicals interacting yes, that chemicals. create the... <laughs> like that's right. You look at it, you're amazed, you're in awe, that, that purity of love mm. that you have for that child the relief that it's done mm. like it's huge relief like and you do not get another contraction mm. from that minute yeah and i am um, like and then obviously when things are all normal and natural and then there's just this beautiful safe space yeah um so i love that it's i think more and more now i do get a sense of like it's i'm you know in awe watching people now and sometimes there's still moments where it's hard to watch um but even things like the noises that people make that was a thing for me and I was like oh it's just like it sounds so weird but now I'm like you know what I'm kind of okay with it I make some of those noises in CrossFit sometimes I know I feel like like, um, you either sound like you're having sex or you're doing a really hard workout (laughs) you're spot on I think labor birthing is the same if you I can pretty much go you're noisy at sex and you're noisy at birth you're a quiet you're a quiet one like (laughs) I had, so 
a funny story for me. I'm really noisy and make these earthy noises. Yep. And I grew up on a farm and I was like, oh my goodness, that sounds like the Jersey cow at the back <laughs> of the paddock when you've taken their, ba- their, f- you know, their calf away, like at their weaning phase, like their 12 month old oh, calf. Yes. And they bellow all night. And that's what I sound like, <laughs> this really earthy moan. So I did that for the first two. And then I was like having my third one. I'm a midwife now. Mm-hmm, I'm going mm-hmm. to be, I'm going to birth this baby quietly. This is the gold this standard is gonna of birth. Be like, <laughs> this is going to be amazing. And then as soon as I got to that transition phase, I was like right in that noise. And I'm like, bring it on. I need that noise. <laughs> and then the fourth time was like, yeah, okay. It was almost like excited to feel that noise yes. coming because I'm like I'm getting close yeah and now when yeah. and, and when I'm working with women when you're walking down the corridor like yeah it's like a little nod it's happening it's working in there yeah it's yeah. not going to be long yeah I'm going to be going yeah. in there soon to help with that, <laughs> that birth cool. <laughs> I think that's it when you can look at it from that perspective and see the other stories just not the scary ones and even you know now it's like as you can probably tell my Instagram explore page is all just babies and birth (laughs) it was one of the posts was like you spend a lot of time resting between contractions as well you know we focus on the pain and the transition and uh, what's the is that the ring of fire is the ring of fire the transition phase no they're talking about the stretching of the perineum okay is that the last part the baby's crowning okay okay so that pushing phase can take a time Mm. if you don't have that feeling for a while it's not until that baby's head is crowning against the thin part of the perineum and that's stretching and that's just that stretching yeah yeah and that's like baby's imminent yeah 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 exactly (laughs) it's here so I think just even knowing stuff like that it's like you know it will be hard but there'll be time where you're okay and you're just recovering and (laughs) it's just you just get the full story and suddenly it changes everything so okay last question I wanted to actually get from you and I know that every birth is going to be different but there are the phases that you've been talking about what does that you know from the first contraction to like baby and placenta are both here what are the phases and stages and roughly how long do you see them sort of taking so you have like the early phase of labor and that can that's the bit where I was saying it that could be really long you could start having contractions and they come and go they're mild and that can be a day it can be longer for some women it can be short so that is really this you know, inf- there's no way you can say your labor is going to be like this. But for the first one, it tends to be starts off where you have some contractions. They're, they're the first thing you've really felt. They do feel a bit intense, um, but they're not, um, there's not as really rhythm to them. Mm. They're not like increasing in their, like their strength necessarily. If you were to lay down, they probably space out. Mm-hmm. If you were to move around, they probably speed up a bit. So they're not like what we call established labour because they're a bit, a bit fluid. Um, when I had my first one, I had a very long first first stage, like early phase or first stage mm-hmm. is what we call it. Um, the And I went into the hospital like, yeah, I've been doing this for 12 hours, chatting with Scott, but they were painful. <laughs> like, they were hard. <laughs> and I was like, one centimetre. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, like, you're oh, not really in labour yet. <laughs> oh, I feel so embarrassed. <laughs> and my midwife was like, it was in the middle of the night. Luckily, she she was already there with somebody else, so I didn't feel like I dragged her in <laughs> for that. Anyway, she's like, the best thing you to do is go home. And I, I did feel like a bit of a fool. And then I stayed home and came back in that early in the morning and like at eight o'clock in the morning. But... But now that I'm a midwife, I have a lot more empathy for people who come in mm-hmm. earlier. But 
it's pretty much when you are, when the world around you just becomes non-existent and time isn't important. If you're there timing every little thing and, oh, that one was this and this one, you're in your early phase. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you're oh, in yeah, a it's rhythm. like when you can't talk, I've heard, is like, yeah. that's when you go to hospital. So it's more like every, everyone's different. They can be silent in labour. You can talk lots in labour. But it's that whole, the world around you isn't, you don't know what the time is. You're not thinking about cooking anything or mm. what's on the, what TV program you can watch or having like, if you have a contraction and then you can pick up that conversation that you were halfway through, you're probably not in established labour yet. It's a bit of a general rule. You can pick people as they're walking mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, <laughs> in the birth centre. Like, yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> and you're already thinking about and And I get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> Some people pleasantly surprise you. Yes. <laughs> but um, it's their body. <laughs> but it, most of the time, if you're having those ability to be completely aware of your surroundings and you're you're not just in that zone of labouring, you're probably not in established labour. When you get into established labour, then it's a rhythm mm. and it's like you really are just contracting, resting, contracting, resting. It's a flow. This is when your, your own uh, endorphins and all of that kind of stuff mm. starts working for you. That early phase, you can get quite fear-orientated because your own endorphins aren't working. Mm. It's like it's not actually painful enough for them to help you out. And you know like that in CrossFit. If you're just doing a casual workout, it can be hurting, but you're not getting that endorphin release. Yeah. You have to yeah. get to a threshold. Yeah. And it's a bit like that in labour. It needs to get to a threshold. So you can be sitting there in your early labour going, this is so painful. How am I going to do this down the track? And you get very fearful of like, I, I can hardly cope with this now. Mm. And you're telling me I'm one centimetre and I'm not even in labour because <laughs> it can be quite confronting. You're not in labour yet. Go home. <laughs> what this has been going on for 12 24 hours how can i not be in labor mm -hmm. um but we're saying established labor <laughs> yeah so yeah it can be quite fearful but once you get into that rhythm and you get your endorphins it is more painful but you cope better yeah interesting well that's how i found it and imagine that there must come a point where you just let go Yes. You're just like, okay, well, we're here now. Like, I kind of felt like in control that it. established labour. And again, I'm not going to give you specific times because there is nothing yeah. that exists <laughs> in times. I mean, unless we are counting the hours because we've got an induction and we have right. set cr criteria of where you need your labour to be at. Otherwise, it's better to not have a set time frame in mind. <laughs> but in that established labour, that rhythm and those contractions are coming rather than being, oh, no, here it comes. Oh, no, that contraction's coming. <gasps> and then it comes and then you're tense and then it's hard mm. and then you get through it. Like in that rhythm and when you're feeling really relaxed in it, it's almost like you're walking into the ocean where you feel it dragging you in and it's like, yeah, yeah right, here it goes again. Yeah, yeah I've heard people say like it's a wave, it's a surge. Like Yeah, and like I don't feel like I understood it until I was in it. But it's, you know, like in the current where it's drawing you, mm. that, that's what it feels like when that contraction's coming before it gets painful. You know it's coming. Mm. You can feel it. If you lean into that and you're like, here we go again mm. and you can stay nice and calm through that you're going to stay relaxed your endorphins are going to work you get that peak of the contraction you can lose your you know, <laughs> lose it a bit but as long as it's when, it starts, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you start going down then relax and let it go and relax and so when by the time the contraction's gone you've got this space of mm. pain-free at rest relaxed state as opposed to you just you can go from a whole 60 seconds of immediate fear tense 
difficulty. And sometimes I've got my hand on people's bellies because we can feel the contractions. Mm. And I'm like, it's leaving, it's going, start relaxing. Hmm. The contraction's gone and they're still like so tense and they feel the pain. <sighs> like the contraction has gone. Can you feel that it's gone? Yes, I can. Okay, yeah. relax. It's yeah. gone. Yeah, so the anticipation almost <laughs> yeah. is and if controlling like, the experience rather than just that's being right. in your body. And if you can think about those length of that, like, that contraction, if it's a 60-second contraction, probably only 25 seconds is intense. The rest of it, you mm. can cope with that. Mm. <laughs> so that's how I try and talk to people. Like, okay, that bit. I, in my, I had a lot of self-talk in my labour and I was like, I can do this, I can do this. And there's like, I can't do this, I can't do this. <laughs> All right, I've got this, I've got this. And it was all in my head. I yeah. never spoke a word. I had my eyes shut, which I also do in CrossFit. Eyes shut. <laughs> Don't speak. And it's like that self-talk. Yeah. And I did that in that intense time. It was, I couldn't, every single labour, I can do this, I can do this. I can't do this. <laughs> anyway, but like, okay, that's in that, like the right towards the end phase yeah. when the, that um, Really gets uh, gets so more you're pre labor, established labor, and then the back end of established labor <laughs> so changes. Kind of, that's right. In established labor, that we kind of say it's four centimeters to ten. Okay. But we have this what we call transition, and that's where you're getting close to being that fully dilated and ready mm. to do your next stage, which is pushing. So that transition is where you get that real earthy noise, where you can have that. Um, it's just it. It's pretty intense. Mm. It's pretty full on. And f centimeters wise, what is that, the transition? It's usually around. It could be, well, it could be eight to ten centimeters. It yeah, could okay. be like the last tiny bit of mm. it. it. It just it, that's again yeah. subjective to everyone, but and that time can be an hour or two for some. It can mm. be ten minutes for mm. others. Mm. <laughs> it just depends on the the way their labor is, what number baby it is, their whole birthing experience, like. It's all very unique to yeah. everyone. Um, and then we call the second stage, which is actually the pushing phase. So you're 10 centimetres dilated and you have that urge to push and you're actively pushing in your contraction. And is the push, I know I've heard people like it's a bear down, it's a, you know, it's, 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 or the body just does it. You don't even have to try pushing. Like what is the push? Yeah, that's a controversial. Yeah. <laughs> and different. Yeah. Like, they're like the old school of, coaching pu pushing it's required especially with epidurals and it's required when we need right. to see some progress and we're not seeing it and it might be um if that head is not quite right in that's positioning you're not going to get the same feedbacks mm. that your, your body is giving you we have to kind of work with that when i am helping and coaching that it is where you see the best progress but it doesn't necessarily, but progress is relative, like what is the best for this birth? Yeah. So that's the bit where it's a bit, you know, do we have to see a lot of progress for the whole time? Or if this baby is doing well, what is the time matter? Um, so that pushing with no pain relief on board and just your body's feedback mechanism, the urge to push is astronomical mm. <laughs> and it is a full body motion and you don't really need to be coached through it yeah when all the things line up well yeah the analogy i've read or metaphor whichever one was it's like when you need to poo or vomit like you know when it needs yeah. to go yeah. like you you, you know <laughs> and it is like that you know then the vomit is the one i use that too yeah. sometimes like you go you know where you feel a bit nauseous and you're like i can hold this together i've got this 
I'm not going to vomit. And you don't and you can keep yeah. it together. And like that's a little bit of like you yeah. might have that sense to push but we're not quite there yet. Don't just go with it. Just hold it together. Mm. Just you, you, when you can't, that's when you should. Yeah. And it is your whole body. And like when you vomit, once your whole body goes, it's a whole (laughs) wave of it. And it's a bit like that. You have that, you'll have that contraction increasing in intensity and then you'll have that um, Mm. intense urge to push. And it is that head pressing on those nerves, Mm -hmm. giving you that feedback. And that's a little bit of sometimes that can be miscommunicated. You might get those senses and you're nowhere near ready to push. Interesting, yeah, okay. It could be that head is in a different position or the baby's um, positional is like the back is against your backbone. So therefore that pressure is there. So some people can get that urge to push early with baby positional Mm. um, Mm. things. So yeah, but it's not that whole overwhelming knee. You can't help yourself. Yeah. But anyway, it, they can be different. And that time can be different. We are like, we can have a first time mum pushing for an hour and not need to only have medical intervention of, of, of assessment at, at an hour. Mm. Um, when it's your second baby, if we haven't seen good progress or within half an hour, we will get an assessment. So that's like our criteria. Interesting, yeah. So that's a long time. Mm. Um Big difference. Right? Yeah, mm. that's right. We should see better progress in second stage with your second, third, fourth, whatever mm-hmm. baby. Um, but not necessarily that amount of progress with the first. It yeah. can be a long yeah. time. Um, and and it depends on your body, where that head was, how how long you've been resisting that urge. Like it can all prevent, you know, if you've had an epidural, if you haven't had an epidural, like lots of different things with mm. that second stage. Mm. Mm. But... It's, um, well, for me, and when I was birthing, mine were short. Yeah. My, my first stage was long. <laughs> yeah. My pushing phase was short. And they, um, and I just had those natural urges and it just like came down really easily. So, and I felt like when I was ready to push, it, it I was not, a fr- I didn't have fear associated with that at all. And I also was like, oh, I can do something with this. Mm. Like, so it was like, yes, we're nearly there and I can do something. It's active. Yes. I'm not passive in this labor, waiting, anticipating, working, working my way through every contraction. It's now my body is pushing and I can be like extra. So I liked that phase Mm. of my labor more than... You're a participant again almost. Yes, that's right. I'm here and I'm getting stuff done. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I liked that part of it. Like in in the sense that you knew it wasn't far. For me, it wasn't far and I'm going to push through this and this labor, this this like transition phase is done and now we're here active. Yeah. Um, Again, I didn't have that fear associated with it and mine were historically short. So I kind of had that, right, there we go. My mm. my second baby, my second stage was like two minutes. Oh. That was the first, the <laughs> fastest. That was well, wow. the rest of them were about fifteen. Yeah. Oh my god. But that second one, I was a bit shocked. I was like, oh my goodness, she's here. So the second stage is transition. Second stage is pushing. Okay. All right. So transition then pushing. Yes. That's, yeah. So once you're pushing, you're in your second stage. Yeah. And then and we say that. Do you centers. end the second stage with the baby? Is yes. That what that's happens? it. Yeah. That time okay. Is birth. Time of birth is the end of your second stage. Ah, uh-huh, interesting. And then the third stage is that placenta yeah. time. Yeah. So like I was saying, you can do it by yourself, or you we can have an mm. injection of oxytocin. Yeah. And then okay. we 
once we see that the placenta has separated, which is with lengthening of the cord and blood, we can help deliver that placenta mm -hmm. with traction and mm -hmm. pull that placenta out. And again, half an hour maximum, but usually we see that within five to 10 minutes easily. Of the birth? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, when we're doing that yeah. with that assistance. Right. Yeah. So, okay. um, the other thing actually um, is the cord being wrapped around the baby's neck was something that it was always like, it always gets played up in, in on TV or in movies and it's like, it's super common it and it's not actually restricting their breathing because they're still attached to the placenta. They're is not that breathing. Right? Yeah. yeah, they don't need oxygen. <laughs> but they do need oxygen to their brain. So yeah, if okay. it's super, super tight and there is an issue with that, it can cause complications. Yeah, okay. Because it will cut off your circulation to your brain. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so okay. you do need, you do need, it can't, a level of it super but tight, most cool, of the time it is loosely looped yeah and unless it's restricting the head coming down you just don't worry about it yeah if you feel like it's restricting the head coming down we can like flick it over yeah, the baby's yeah. Head. that's one of the things i've seen so many videos just now of the, the the cord just being like looped undone over. looped on yeah. just slides over kind of yeah. yeah so yeah that if there's no restriction, you don't have to be mm. too worried about it. Mm. But if there is like a tight, tight restriction, you might have issues with that baby descending. Yeah. Um, and, and that can be more of like one of those medical emergencies. Yeah, okay. But that is very few and far between. Yeah. yeah. And then do the babies breastfeed? Like is that the first thing that you're trying to accomplish once you have a baby? Um, yeah. So babies born, like again, oh. and Hunter New England Health baby goes straight onto the mother's chest it's delayed cord clamping dad usually gets to cut the cord you do some drying stimulating to get initiate that first breath because mm. it is a change again a really cool physiological change if you want to look into that how they take that first mm. breath um and then we we will be assessing those signs of life and like that transition for that baby um but they st it's all done on the mother's chest and then um the, when the cord is cut then we just like warm blankets. We're working with the placenta part. Mum's here yeah. looking at their yeah. beautiful baby yeah. and kind of focusing on that. Usually if there's any repairing of any tearing, it's done with that baby still on mum's chest mm. um, and that's all kind of done, hopefully in a timely manner. And then the breastfeeding is usually within, we like it to be within like that half hour to hour mark. Yeah, okay. Um, they have this... They call it the golden hour mm. with in breastfeeding talk because they it's like the baby that's born has taken its breath. They are super alert usually unless there's been morphine or mm. epidurals or assisted deliveries, but natural birth, super alert. And mm. they do, they bob their little head around like one of those little <laughs> bobby things and they're kind of like <gasps> bobbing for the breast and they you do see them do what they call the crawl to the breast. To the, yeah, all like that kind of stuff. Finding a nipple. Yeah, and like... It, that and it's pretty cool to see and some of them they're just like chomp straight on and That's then so they're just like uh, the first breastfeed can be pretty magical because mm. it seems very intuitive mm. and not complicated in that natural environment yeah yeah because we kind of complicate things when we add medication and and you know what if that baby did have a bit of a yeah. difficult birth and they're not going to have that same kind of responses yeah. but um but that breastfeed is usually half hour to an hour and if not then in that next hour we will be assisting with yeah. that if if it doesn't kind of happen to happen intuitively mm. and then yeah and then it's like time to eat as the mum yeah <laughs> actually Eating what's the stance like on eating during birth at uh John Hunter, because I know I've read about other, and, and these are overseas, some hospitals having like a no food policy. No, I know, we don't do that. 
yeah. if you end up needing an emergency of any kind, we just give you a horrible tasting drink that neutralizes your stomach acids. But we huh. still end up doing epidurals most of the yeah. time or spinals for delivery seizures so you're not having that risk of aspirating which is the yeah. whole reason why they're saying no eating okay but I see. to be honest if you were in the middle of a crossfit workout would you again eat a whole meal yeah yeah <laughs> so i guess it depends on what stage that's you're right in. and you will find that if you are um in your labor your digestive system just stops yeah and you're not going to have your feelings of hunger and you're not going to process your food if you do mm. eat it so sometimes when women have had epidurals and they're they've been working really hard for a long time that's just that thought of well i haven't eaten for a long time i should eat oh that smells good and then and you're like just take it easy just take <laughs> it easy because I'm like your body's still working really hard and I, in the end i was like uh, eat whatever you want yeah, I, i'll yeah. just get that bowl already <laughs> <laughs> Because you're going to, you're not going to last. It's going to come back up <laughs> because your body's just not going to process it's, it. Yeah, yeah, that's it's interesting about the compare it to a CrossFit workout. Yeah, <laughs> marathon. It makes sense then. Eating. Yeah, your body, your body's going to tell you when it needs food and it's when it's doing doesn't. other things. Yeah. But it is a mentality that you feel like you should be. Mm -hmm. So hydration is key. Uh, that okay, is key. Okay. Yeah. Early yep. is key. If you're because you might not be able to process it down like yeah. when it's prehydrate. Okay. 100%. I'm going to be preparing for this just like I do a CrossFit comp now. <laughs> yeah. Hydration is key to keeping contractions going yeah. and and all like is a big part of it. And and then your sugars. Yeah. Yeah. And little things that your body can yeah. digest. Awesome. The same. It's like in workouts. Yeah. That's so funny. There you go. It is a workout, right? It's an uh, athletic event. Very mm. intense. Mm. <laughs> this has been amazing. This oh. has been so good. Thank you for taking all my questions. That's okay. <laughs> I don't know if we covered the things that oh, you wanted it was, to. Or? It was exceptional. I just feel like I feel I've got my head wrapped around so much more. It's so different having a conversation versus reading a book, right? Yeah. Like I feel like I've had a lot of information coming into my brain and this conversation has clarified far more <laughs> than yeah. probably any of the books I've read so far. So thank you so much. That's okay. I appreciate it. Do you actually, I did have one question. Do you have any idea of the number of babies you've delivered? Oh, I don't. I stopped kind of, I think when you're starting out, you're yeah, like, you're like super like One, oh yeah two, absolutely <laughs> no like I guess I could say like there's probably been like a night shift where I've done three births in one night yeah, and okay. it was like a hectic birthling night like all naturally just like feel like you're running from one room to the next um, but I guess as well now uh, we have a lot of students um, midwifery students like their bachelor or so they're working with you so yeah, okay. as a midwife you're also a teacher so you're teaching mm. the craft I guess um, so I kind of count them as my births, but yeah. my hands might not have been on that baby's head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so no, like we do a lot at the job, yeah. but it yeah. would be in the hundreds, like oh, more man. than that. That's awesome. Amazing. Thank you so That's much. That's okay. You're awesome. Welcome. Lovely.